Well, today's topic is something that many of us can relate to. We want to invite you after the episode is over today to stick around and listen to a testimony from Kaylee Condit right here in our community as she shares very authentically about her own journey and battle through anxiety and depression. Mental health challenges are often kept in the closet or even swept under the rug. We know they can affect anyone from adults to children and the struggle is real. Join us as we talk about relevant topics with mental health experts. Welcome to Equip Online, a place for hope and help. Welcome to Equip Online. I'm Brian, and this week my co-host is Maria. Hi, it's so great to be here. Yeah, Maria, great to have you. And uh, she works with our youth staff, uh, just recently joined our staff and intern with us. And it's uh, great having you as a young adult, just recently graduated mm-hmm. from college, yes. and also just uh, the fact that you work with teenagers and that kind of thing. I think uh, it'll be great as we talk about today's topic. And our guest this week is Carolyn Robistow. Yes. I got your name right. <laughs> you yes, did. I Thank pronounced you. it correctly. Yay. And uh, so Carolyn's a licensed professional counselor at the Joy Effect Counseling in the Woodlands, Texas. That's right. Yeah. So, Carolyn, uh, today our topic, we're going to talk about changing our thoughts, how changing our thoughts can reshape our life. And really, to sum it up in one word, we're going to look at anxiety mm-hmm. today yes. um, and, and how we can hopefully learn some techniques and kind of break this down where we can really begin to learn how to manage it better, learn what uh, different levels of anxiety and how it affects us uh, as humans. So we're going to jump right into that. So uh, as I think about uh, kind of this first question, I, I know we've talked a little bit, but as I've gotten to know different counselors, there's usually a story and usually kind of a, an inspiration that gets you into counseling. So I thought on this topic, Carolyn, what, what is it about um, this focus? You know, you're a, a counselor that uh, went and got your education, but you have a particular uh, passion for anxiety. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how you ended up making that a focus? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anxiety is definitely my space. I also do a lot of work with OCD. And you're right, a lot of us have stories that brought us into the field for personal reasons, not always related, but still impactful. And uh, for me, you know, anxious feeling like I work mostly with high functioning anxious people, um, perfectionist people, pleasers. Uh, a lot of times you wouldn't know it that they were yeah. dealing with this level of anxiety because they're kind of out in the world doing great, looking really successful. Um, and in that note, it's actually kind of hard to get them into the therapy room yeah, <laughs> because I'm fine. it's not bad. It. It's yeah. not yeah. bad enough. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and so my story is really similar to that. You know, I kind of was, I did really well, you know, good grades. I kind of walked a really traditional line for life kind of did whatever was expected of me didn't break a lot of rules was really good at following rules meeting people's expectations and then um a couple years ago I was already in counseling I had I had a real good story about I used to be a teacher and helping um, I had a mom come to me once who just wanted nothing more than to help her child and you know it was really struggling and uh She just came to me once and she was like, I feel like I've done everything. I don't know what else to do. And I thought, I don't know what for you to do either. Like, there's got to be someone in the world who knows how to help this mom. And that was kind of the start of me looking into counseling was I really wanted to be able to go to moms and help them. But then a couple of years ago, when I was walking around super high functioning, um, I had this really random 
health thing come up. So you remember when we had the eclipse and it was like, make sure you get the right glasses to look at it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Otherwise uh-huh. you're going to like burn your retina yes. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So of course I went and got the glasses and like laid out and in the, the back of our property and watched the eclipse. And a couple weeks later in my left eye, there was a, you know, after you, if someone takes your picture in the dark, there's like a flash and you mm-hmm. kind of still see mm-hmm. it. It was like that in my left eye. And so I was like, oh, I'm the person who got like the wrong goggles and I've burned my retinas. (laughs) So I went to the eye doctor and they sent me to a specialist and it turned out that my macula had swollen from stress and not sleeping well because I was feeling so anxious (laughs) about so many things and just kind of able to tolerate it during the day. And my body literally was like, no, we've had enough of this. And we're going to let you know wow. that just because it's not bad enough doesn't mean you don't need to address it. Wow. Um, so that was kind mm-hmm. of when I thought, gosh, like there are probably a lot of people walking around whose bodies are just shouting at them. And it just isn't bad enough that they feel like they need to step in the therapy room. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I love that, that it's personal to you and, and that uh, you're not just a quote unquote expert, but you're someone that's also learning and growing in this every day, too. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Still doing my own work all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) That's awesome. So um, the next question that we kind of wanted to ask you was just about anxiety levels in this past year. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. this past year has been really crazy and it feels like the world's kind of fallen apart. And so we just wanted to ask you, like, in your experience, do you feel like anxiety levels have risen? What do you, how have you been dealing with that as a therapist? Have you had more people come in or have people still been kind of hesitant, like you were talking about before. Um, I do think people are definitely more open to it now, which is great. But I think that is because it really has leveled up this past year. And Mm -hmm. so what before felt tolerable or not bad enough is now no longer tolerable. And people are starting to feel like they're kind of falling apart at the seams. Um, But I do think uh, the reason the anxiety is seemingly more prevalent is because we're just dealing with so much uncertainty. Um, Mm -hmm. everything about this year uh, and so many facets of life just brought up uncertainty and that's where anxiety lives anxiety shows up uh, same with OCD it shows up and says well if I can control it then it won't be so bad and we are 100% dealing with things vastly out of our control and um, I know I shared this with you on the phone I love to put things in zero to ten scales I feel like it takes something as abstract as anxiety and makes it really tangible And so if a person were existing at maybe a five or six before, we throw all of this new uncertainty on top of it. And now they're existing at a nine or a 10. And that's Mm -hmm. just no way to go about life. You can't, you can't continue to function at that level sustainably. So I just think everything, like when you have an open wound, you can take care of it and be really mindful of it. But then if you're going to do an activity where it's going to constantly get re-wounded, yeah. That's that's kind of the world we're living in. It's getting constantly yeah. like poked yeah. at and kicked at. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So it's not that all these people just had zero anxiety before. It's they were just below the just below the line of kind of able to generally kind of function, but it definitely was still there. Yeah. And then once you hit this had this pandemic and quarantine and all that stuff hit it just, just knocked it into a realm that, ah, uh, wow, what do I do now? Like, I just can't yeah. even, 
function really or manage this. Uh, I was barely managing before. Now I certainly don't know how to manage it. Absolutely. Yeah. And for yeah. the people who were managing because they had various coping skills, a lot of our coping skills got removed from us. Yeah, in this year, that's you know, true. the socialization uh-huh. aspect, being able to see friends and family on a certain level, um, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting because those are just normal things built into the fabric of our everyday life yeah. that we didn't even realize were helping us cope. Yeah. It was just something that was like, well, it was just normal routine. And all of a sudden those are taken away. We didn't even realize it. But that was, you really, I could see, you know, the way God made us is like we, we need those interactions and now we don't have them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's huge. Well, I think, you know, a lot of what we love to do on Equip too is just kind of educating, you know, kind of learning more about these different topics. And so I think, you know, maybe another question is, can you help paint a picture between, you know, looking at what is sort of a healthy, normal level of anxiety for us as human beings versus abnormal or an unhealthy anxiety? Maybe could you just tell us kind of what, what does that look like, the difference between those two? Yeah, and this yeah. is where I'll start to totally nerd out. So you're going you're to have to be in hey, charge of we like play. To be, we, we, can, we can geek out with you. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. cool. Like we like to yeah, learn this too. Is, yeah, this is my can. space. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the short answer <laughs> is that, and, and this actually comes in my office a lot. People will say, you know, I know that I can't expect to never have anxiety. And I think the difference there is you can't expect to never feel anxious, but you can fully expect to not have anxiety. Um, I think that in that kind of that idea that we have to expect a certain level of anxiety is that what is what feels fuels that narrative of it's not bad enough. Oh, well, I'm supposed to feel a little bit of anxiety. No, like you should feel anxious if you're in a position where you're doing something new or challenging or like maybe you're on a podcast being interviewed and there's lights and cameras around <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, people are asking some questions. Um, you know, it's, it makes sense and it's healthy to feel a little bit like jazzed up about that. Um, when we cross the line is when our brain in our midbrain, and so this is where I really do start to get on some soapboxes. Yeah. <laughs> our midbrain brings with it these past experiences that probably were scary or dangerous um, based on our development level at the time and, you know, the people we were interacting with and how accessible safety needs were. When it starts to bring those experiences in, and so, you know, I'm in a room on a podcast and there are lights and there are cameras, but I'm also experiencing the shame of being laughed off the stage in the third grade spelling bee, you know, mm, which yeah. did not happen, but is it yeah. good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I never made it to the stage in the spelling bee. I was not that good at spelling. Uh, but so awesome. if, if that nervousness is also coming up from a past experience, that's where we're crossing the line into, well, we don't have to, we don't have to do that. We don't have to exist in this way where our brain brings in all the past experiences. Wow. Wow. So I don't know if you want to get into this now or I, so I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with learning more about the brain as well. And I know a lot of your, your work and treatment that you do is really, I mean, so on one hand, maybe we, it seems kind of like, okay, that is what's causing sort of an abnormal, unhealthy amount of anxiety of, you know, something from my past triggering this. Mm -hmm. Again, I, and I know this is, can't fully break this down now, but what are some of the ways that you help somebody? Maybe, maybe it, that scenario, you know, that you mentioned yeah. about something that happened in third grade, 
seems to be creating this anxiety that I don't know how to handle. How do you begin to kind of approach that work on that? Great question. Um, my favorite technique to use is called brain spotting and we can get into that in a minute, but I think a lot of the early work when a person comes into the office is we do the education piece. Well, let's, let's talk about, you know, let's look at an image of a brain and talk about where in your brain these things are happening because, you know, when we talk about thought change, um, I'm from the school that are these thoughts, the automatic ones are coming from the limbic system. And so the idea that we can somehow change a prefrontal cortex thing well, it's in the limbic system. We're trying to use our prefrontal cortex to change it. And there's not like a super highway there. Those two don't really communicate the way that okay. we would like them to. Yeah. So it is, you know, it is helpful to say, well, you know, I feel like I'm going to get off track here. So you may have to bring me back on board. <laughs> yeah. But the idea that we can just not feel that way or just talk ourselves out of anxiety, whether it's mm-hmm. a panic attack or just an anxious feeling or nervousness or you know, an angry outburst or any other sort of really primitive response Mm -hmm. is almost an unhealthy expectation to have of ourselves because we're not designed to work Mm -hmm. that way. We're, you know, our brain, the part that's responding is light years ahead of the part that knows what in the world we're doing. Oh, wow. So it's just unrealistic to think that we can get in front of that train. We, we cannot. Okay. (laughs) We can do the deeper work, which is where brain spotting comes in. Um, I love to use the movie Inside Out as kind of a. I love that movie. Yeah, and a lot of people do it. Although it makes me cry, like every single Pixar oh movie. Like yes. That's the only thing I hate about Pixar movies. It gets us because it hits cry. home, right? Yeah. Yes. There's some truth uh-huh. behind it. But so I love using the little, you know, all right, the little glass balls that come in and then they get like filed away mm-hmm. and they've got like the core memories. Um, it's not super far. I mean, it's a grotesque oversimplification of how our amazingly, wonderfully made brain is. But that idea that experiences come in and they get processed and then they get put wherever they need to get put. But if we go through something that's traumatic and I use the word trauma very lightly for my people who come in my office, because a lot Mm -hmm. of times we're not ready to address something as trauma. But the truth is there Mm -hmm. are lowercase T traumas. And you kind of hear that anytime Mm -hmm. you talk to a counselor, like it doesn't matter what the world thinks of the experience. It matters what my limbic system thinks of the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So if for some reason I go through an, an experience, say the third grade spelling bee, or maybe I know we shared this example on the phone. Maybe I had someone in my life who was really angry and would yell a lot. Um, And in that space, if I'm not able to address it because developmentally I don't have the tools or whatever, or it's, you know, the adults in my life are the ones who are supposed to be handling that for me. My brain kind of like jumps into action with fight, flight, freeze, fawn, whatever it is. And then the brain is so amazing that when something works, it's like, oh yeah, nailed it. Let's broad spectrum apply that to all the things, right? And so then yeah. it's going to take that strategy that worked and was necessary in that moment. And it's going to kind of do it for any time something feels similar to that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that's wow. when it's bringing up the past. And now we're applying what worked then and was necessary then, but is not helpful now. It's more harmful now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so, so fascinating. Because, I mean, it does remind me too a little bit about with any kind of trauma, one thing you hear about is there's this window you have right after it happens that if you can get into proper counseling and kind of talk that through, it really 
has incredible benefit for you later in life versus yeah. if a traumatic thing happens, you never have any outlet to talk with anybody, do anything about it. There's a lot of repercussions for later in life that it seems like you're working through. It gets snarled in more. It seems like, yeah. I like to yeah. use the analogy snarled. of snarled. Snarled. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, and, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but a lot of the women I work with are very mm-hmm. familiar with this experience. When we put our necklaces and they're not all hung separately yes. and they get uh-huh. snarled together. And it's like, if you pull on one, it just tightens the knot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And wow. if you throw another necklace in, you know, it's getting snarled up in that. Mm-hmm. Like there's no protecting it from that. Yeah. But sometimes if you just grab it in just the right spot, some of them will start to really come undone. And it's almost like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, how did I even do that? <laughs> wow. Um, but so, yeah, so these experiences get snarled in, but all that to say, even if I, as an adult, have a trauma that happened in my birth, like maybe, you know, it was really difficult on my mom or whatever, like I had a birth trauma, we can still unsnarl that. It's never too late. And we can completely Mm -hmm. unsnarl it, which feels like a really over-delivering promise, but... (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I know we'll get a little more into that too in a minute. Yeah. So sorry, I get a little excited here. So. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I clearly do too. Yeah. I'll, okay, y'all get yeah. back on track. All right, all right. That's here awesome. we are, back on track. <laughs> so our next question is kind mm. of dealing with like panic attacks or anxiety attacks. So um, I think that this is something that people, more and more people, I think are experiencing now, or at least as I've been talking to people, they're like, I've been having this this sensation where I can't breathe, you know, yeah. or I can't. Yeah. I feel like I'm dying, or just like all kinds of different forms of that. So I just wanted to ask you, like, what what's the difference? Is there a difference between the two terminologies of like panic attack and anxiety attack? Um, what does that look like and what's actually going on? And then what if you don't really know what's going on or what's causing that? How do you approach it in that way? Yeah, good question. Um, my first response is, does it? what's the difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack mm-hmm. is that if you're having one, it doesn't matter. They feel awful. <laughs> And it doesn't matter what it's called. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like you can't breathe or whatever it is you're feeling. It shows up so differently. And I think even another little side soapbox is that sometimes we miss anxiety and anxiety attacks because it's not that, oh my gosh, I can't breathe feeling. It's a need to run away or it's a Mm -hmm. desire to distract Mm -hmm. ourselves with something. And I know we'll get into coping mechanisms in a little Mm -hmm. bit, but um, so it is important for people to realize that it doesn't always just show up as this really like, cinematic panic attack sort of way, but it can. Um, So as far as the difference, it's whatever you want to call it. Like it's your experience. You're experiencing something incredibly scary and Mm -hmm. out of control. It's just an out of control feeling. Um, As far as I'm going to, I'm going to push pause on what to do if you don't know where it's coming from. I'll get that one in a minute, but I would love to share one of my favorite strategies if we have time for that. That's just a quick go-to that Mm -hmm. I try to teach my people. Um, and it is a brain spotting strategy. And so, uh, brain spotting is based on the idea that where we look affects how we feel. So we use the eyes a lot. And the short version of that Mm -hmm. is they basically have a more direct route into the areas of the brain we're dealing with because our eyes are designed to check for security and safety and get information into the responding part of our brain. Like yesterday, Um, we don't need our prefrontal cortex deciding what's in our best interest because it would be things like there's a saber tooth tiger. It looks like it has sharp teeth. What do I know about sharp teeth? 
what do I know about my current city? And then like, by the time we've thought yeah. through it or it's <laughs> done, <laughs> right, right, point, yeah. right. So we want our eyes to have that direct connection into our more reactive, primitive parts of our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use our eyes in brain spotting or they're like our main tool. But so when a person is feeling any type of anxiousness, um, even if it's just racing thoughts when you can't sleep, if you can find a point in your field of vision, now this is very different than we would do it in the office. We're very um, specific in the office with where your eyes are, um, but just out and about in the world, because when you're having an anxiety attack, you don't have time to go through all the extra steps. Mm-hmm. If you just put your finger out in front of your face somewhere, and then you look at your finger, and then whatever is through it on the far wall or whatever is in front of you, and then if you just kind of come back and forth, every five to 10 seconds, maybe do it for a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. It actually gets into the vagus nerve, which is kind of our main Mm -hmm. nervous part of our nervous system that has like access to all the things Mm -hmm. like breathing rate, heart rate, uh, all of the things and uh, blood pressure. And so it gets into that part of our nervous system and we'll start to activate the part of our nervous system that brings down. Oh, wow. So um, it's just a quick that's a great tip. You can do it anywhere because you've got tip. your fingers in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah. Even, even people who are blind are able to do it because they can still orient wow. in space. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, you know, a person who is blind can still see, knows which way is their left and their right and things like that. Right. So mm-hmm. right. um, you just say, okay, just la- leave your eyes on a specific spot. And then in your mind's eye, imagine you're looking further and near. And it has to do with there's six muscles on each eyeball that mm-hmm. kind of move it and orient yeah. it. And so mm-hmm. those 12 muscles are working in a way that oh, wow. gives us access to the rest of the calm down system. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Yeah, That's no, so it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I That's do like really to preface good. it with try it when you're not having a panic attack, practice it because okay. for some people it spikes us at first Yeah, and it brings uh-huh. us up real fast and then brings mm-hmm. us down. And so mm-hmm. we want to get past where it just starts to bring us down pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. So a little, a little sidetrack, but also kind of on the topic of panic attacks and anxiety attacks and everything. Can they kind of change form as time goes on? Cause I know for me personally, like experiencing all that, I experienced a lot of like the heavy breathing and, um, just like feeling like I'm going to die. And it kind of moved into like this kind of distortion type thing where everything feels delayed mm-hmm. and everything. What is that a different type of, is that, does that mean something else is triggering that? Or is that more of just um, a different way you're experiencing it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I learned a long time ago mm-hmm. that the person on the couch, their brain is the genius in the room. I am not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe that goes back to what to, to do if I don't know what's causing it. Yeah. Um, I also do a lot of work with parts, um, mm-hmm. which is really also very similar to inside out that we kind of have these little <laughs> parts of us that are kind of driving the bus at various times. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't, it's, when we're having that level of anxiety or any anxiety, really, it just means that a part is freaking out because it's not in control and it's just doing everything in its power to regain control. Um, and so we don't need to know what caused it in that moment. We just want to be able to get out of it in that moment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that technique, for instance, that you just shared could be one of the ways that maybe you could try if, yeah. if you're experiencing mm-hmm. those kind of symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But so it can show up in different ways because if it's not working one way, our parts are going to jump in and be like, that didn't work. Let's try another thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or yeah. it could be that something different triggered this one mm. okay, than yeah. triggered the other one. And, you know, you can start to see a pattern. Uh, but you don't really need to, to mm. do the healing work. That's just more 
the part that wants to have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our, well, it, our little inner control freaks. It's so interesting <laughs> yeah. though, like you said, looking at the different parts of the brain, because once you're into that flight, fight, freeze mode or whatever, you know, your prefrontal cortex is it's offline. Not, it, it's not really doing, I mean, it, it could say all yeah. it wants to, but it's, it's not in control at that point. Yeah. You've got to, it's you not gotta, saying much. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> so, so it's just very, very fascinating, uh-huh. you know, yeah. how, how God made our brains that way. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of started to go there a little bit, but let's, let's unpack a little more about, I'm sure there are examples of good and healthy ways to cope with anxiety and probably unhealthy ways or really not very productive ways of handling anxiety. Would you mind just kind of breaking down maybe some practical, like good ways? And if there are any, like, don't try to handle it that way. You can mention that too, but just yeah. to talk about coping, I guess. Sure. Sure. And that's going to be a really annoyingly therapisty answer that goes back <laughs> to like my shoulders shrug, like, well, it depends yeah. on the person uh-huh. Yeah, because sure you know, exercise may help me cope with anxiety really well. And exercise may also be my way of avoiding and Mm. numbing Mm -hmm. and stepping out of the discomfort of really processing my anxiety. Um, So really anything can be pushed into an unhealthy coping mechanism if we start to lean on it as a way to avoid dealing with the anxiety. Um, But then there are the really common unhealthy ones. Alcohol is the biggest one that comes to mind just because it is kind of another passion of mine is gray area drinking. Um, That makes it sound like I'm passionate about doing it. I'm passionate about helping people with it. Yes. I'm all about, yeah. I I guess I used to be passionate about doing it, and now I'm not. Maybe about talking about it. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But because because we're using it to numb, but the interesting thing chemically about alcohol is it actually spikes anxiety. Yeah. So we're just kind of giving our, it's like this vicious cycle we get stuck in. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, we, we know unhealthy coping, coping Nail mechanisms. Biting, I mean, that yeah. seems to be. Yeah. Good. Picking, yeah. um, gambling, gaming, any sort of addictive behavior right. can be an unhealthy mm-hmm. coping mechanism. Um, yeah. working a lot, yeah. overworking, mm-hmm. checking details, um, things that on the surface. And so going back to, again, when I work with perfectionists, you know, on the surface, these look like really important, healthy things. This is what's keeping our life functioning yeah. at this level. Uh-huh. Like if I didn't have, and I think we talked about systems earlier, you know, if I didn't have all these systems, mm-hmm. I would lose my mind. Um, but making sure that I'm not compulsively checking the system, that there's like a, a bit of trust in the system. Um, I don't know if that really answers the question about healthy or unhealthy yeah, yeah. coping. Yeah. But yeah. No, that's- it really is about a person getting inside and going, well, what am I trying to accomplish with this? Is it, mm-hmm. am I getting joy out of it or am I getting numbing out of it? Is yeah. it bringing yeah. value uh-huh. to my life or is it just keeping me from having to be uncomfortable uh-huh. or feel pain? Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's, that's huge. And do you, uh, just maybe to tag on to, do you see is anxiety, does it seem to be more prevalent in a particular type of person or does it seem like it can, it can be a middle-aged man to a teenage girl to a, a young mom. I mean, it just, it's an equal opportunity all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like it's just yeah. this demographic. It's just, we all can mm, be susceptible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. So, um, one of our ending questions, I guess is, um, do you have any advice for how to manage your thought life and just to help prevent anxiety from completely taking over that? Or I guess maybe some, um, 
point markers of when, hey, like this has gone too far now. And like now it's becoming to take over my life, you know? Yeah. Um, I do think that if it's, if it's existing in your life, just go ahead and deal with it. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to, you don't mm-hmm. have to hit a rock bottom. Yeah. It doesn't have to be bad mm-hmm. enough before you reach out. And maybe therapy is what's helpful. I think therapy is helpful for everybody, but there are in between roads, you know, there are anxiety coaches, there's groups, there's online courses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if it feels like therapy isn't quite what you need, still look into something in the, the middle area. Yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. again, like I think therapy is helpful for everybody. Um, <laughs> but as far as markers, let me, I don't know. I may need you to re-ask your question. Like, <laughs> Well, maybe even just like, um, what if I, I realize I'm just, you know, middle of the day, whatever, or maybe the beginning, whenever it hits me, I notice that I'm, and I do this and I know that uh, I have you know, people in my life. I know I struggle with this too. I can I almost describe it as I can get on this sort of downward spiral mm-hmm. in my thinking and one negative thought leads to the next negative thought. Yeah. And all of a sudden I just feel overwhelmed. Your necklaces like, are snarled. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh-huh. it, and it can just happen, you know, and, and it just, it, you know, I'm like, man, is there, are there some practical ways even in, in how to think better that could kind of help break that off at times, you know, man, I, I just think, yeah. you know, we're talking about our brain, man. And I, and maybe that's still in the prefrontal cortex yeah. part still, but it's like even managing uh-huh. that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's ways. Yeah. And I think the way you phrased it, thank you for that. Cause that's, that's spot on. It's that, when that starts to happen, the things to know in our, in our neocortical brain are this is temporary mm. and it's going to wash over. And so mm. I really try to encourage my clients. And now again, they've got me as support. So we're practicing it in the office. You know, yeah. they know what to do. I'm giving them all the tools. Uh, so this is a little bit of like a blanket DIY. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, when that starts coming over you, if we try to stop it or shove it or put it aside, which is what, you know, we do try to, we want to ground it a little bit, but we don't want to completely silence it or numb it out yeah. because when we stop that wave mid wave, that's when it gets stuck and our necklaces get snarled and the knot gets oh, tighter. Yeah. So right. if something is coming, if we're in a place where we can allow some space for that, because if we think about, you know, God has created our brain to do so many amazing things without us even having to tell it. Like we don't have to say, okay, peristalsis, like move these muscles in my throat and there was me that was me learning Peristalsis. Exactly. But so our body knows how to digest food. We don't have yeah. to sit down and go, okay, body, this is what to do now. Now add this, you know, stomach acid yeah. and then move it mm-hmm. to this part of my digestive tract. Like it knows how to do that. We don't have Mm -hmm. to sit down and tell our immune system, okay, everybody clock in. It's time to do a scan. Are there any unwanted, you know, germs Uh or anything in here? Our brain and our body know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially with anxiety, we get in its way because we think, Mm -hmm. oh, I should know what to do about this. I should be able to, you know, think a a different way and, you Uh know, have more gratitude, which I love gratitude. I think it's an amazing practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we do think, oh, I should be able to manage this. And the truth is, if we can let our brain and body do what they're designed to do, we're going to be better off. 
Um, mm. But it comes mm. with a certain level of trust that it's going to do. And uh, so that's why I say if you can do that in a therapy space, it's better because you've got a person there who's going, yep, this is what, yep, doing Supporting it right. You. Yep, yeah. nailed yeah. it. Yep, you're letting it happen. Um, my favorite analogy for brain spotting is, you know, if you've ever gotten a cut, you may put some, you know, maybe like we clean it, give it a little hydrogen peroxide. Maybe we put some Neosporin. If it needs stitches, we give it stitches, but maybe just a Band-Aid. But we don't sit there and say, okay, skin cells, I'm going to need you to grow from left mm-hmm. to right in a, let's go like a, a hexagon pattern at a 90 mm-hmm. degree angle. Like we don't do that. Yeah. Our brain mm-hmm. knows what to do. Um, and so part of brain spotting is we kind of have to step out of the way and let that subcortical part of our brain do what it's probably been trying to do this yeah. whole time. But we, you know, we're getting dinged at from messages and emails and kids mm-hmm. yelling and, you know, the next thing. And then there's a pandemic and like our brain just isn't able to process these things. So just yeah. giving it the space to process. So I tell my people roundabout, I'm coming full circle. <laughs> um, If you're in a place where when it comes on, you can just kind of be gentle with yourself and make space for that. Like, okay, I'm feeling anxious and I teach them how to find a resource brain spot. So let's find a resource brain spot when you're doing that. And then if you can just stay on that resource brain spot and let that wave do whatever it needs to do, great. If you're not in a place where you can do it, that's when we, you know, employ our grounding techniques. We do the Mm -hmm. virgins, which Mm -hmm. is the near and far with our finger or, you know, deep breathing mm-hmm. or, you know, practice gratitude, any number of things that you can Google and find. Yeah. And then later you go back and you make space to reprocess what yeah. it was, because what mm-hmm. happens is we get busy and we never go back and revisit it. Yeah. And our necklaces stay snarled. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So it's attack using both parts of your brain at the right time yeah. right. to kind of really look at what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, I had um, another question before we end, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so one of the things you kind of talked about was, like, kind of creating this narrative and keeping things snarled and things like that. Um, and you did mention, like, should statements. Like, I should yeah. be doing this, I should be doing that, or whatever. What are some ways that we can kind of get rid of the should and actually allow us to experience that moment? Like, because I think sometimes you can get stuck in, like, I should not be feeling this way, or I should be doing this, or I should be more grateful, or yeah. whatever that is. Like, what are some ways that we can stop and say, like, okay, let's just let my, let's just allow my body to do what it's supposed to do. Just like that. Yeah, well <laughs> okay, said. Cool. Okay. Asked and answered. If Perfect. Just see, noticing. And so the biggest phrase we use in mm-hmm. brain spotting is notice that. Okay. Like, notice. Oh, gosh, I'm really shooting mm-hmm. myself right now. <laughs> notice it. And then yeah. just kind of. And what can I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, and I know one thing we had also talked a little bit on the phone um, before Carolyn was maybe something about, you know, if, if anxiety, whatever the level is, if it is preventing us from being our best, um, it's something that we, it, we owe it to ourselves in a sense to, to mm-hmm. either get some therapy or work on some of that. Because again, we, we tend to just say, oh, well, I'm not nearly, I, I don't, I shouldn't be feeling, you know, we, again, we mm-hmm. look at these people and what we think are more extreme situations and, and they I shouldn't are more even extreme. be feel. Yeah. I shouldn't even be, we invalidate yes. um, that, right? Can you, can you speak to that a little bit too? I know that was something that I. <laughs> How I, long do we have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I just think that's an important message for people yeah. to hear too. And, yeah. and maybe like, um, you know, how do I, how do I know if, if I really 
maybe I'm at a place where I could benefit from some help. You know, what are mm-hmm. the, what are the signs? But anything yeah. you mention on that? I know. And, and my husband will laugh because I'm going to default to you are and everybody is. And let's all just get <laughs> therapy and call it a day and stop wondering. Like, just yeah. get it. Um, but, you know, that's my soapbox. But yeah. uh, I, a story I would like to share about that maybe is yeah. the reason I work with the population I do work with is because I feel like there are so many people who, if they weren't carrying this level of anxiety with them, would be able to do so much more good in the world than they are doing. Mm-hmm. And this anxiety is holding them back. And, and I think they feel it too, like this, um, this barrier of anxiety, like, oh, if I didn't feel so anxious, I would have more energy. Maybe I wouldn't be gray area drinking and then I'd really have more <laughs> energy, um, more focus, more motivation. You know, it zaps us of all these things. And so anxiety is one where it's, you know, it doesn't show up like depression where then we're not doing things throughout the day, which is also mm-hmm. a grotesque oversimplification of depression. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but with anxiety, it almost gets you out of your chair in a way sometimes like you need to do and be busy. Um, so mm-hmm. it looks really productive, but if it weren't for that anxiety, your productivity would be so much more focused. You would earn more. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could just offer that to like business owners who feel anxious, you would be, you would have a more successful business if you didn't have that anxiousness but there's this belief that oh it's what brought me here it's what fueled my action and so I have to keep it um but so the story I want to share maybe not a story but the reason that I named my practice the joy effect is because I thought I want to work with the person who's carrying the mental burden of running the household the person who carries the anxiety Mm -hmm. for the whole system so that the rest of the people are able to go about without feeling anxious because they know that this other person will almost catch Like they know Mm -hmm. the schedule, they know who needs what meds and when the dog needs to go to the vet and who needs to be at what practice and who's going to drive who and make sure we've all got lunches. Um, And not every house has one specific person. So sometimes it's multiple people, but there are people in the house who are carrying that for the rest of the family. And Mm -hmm. on a certain level, like as adults, it is our job to do it for our kids. But I thought if I can help that person manage that role without the anxiety, it's going to be this ripple effect through the family because when one of Uh us feels anxious, we all notice that we all feel it. It's Mm -hmm. contagious. We are interconnected beings. We were created to connect. And so I thought if I can get the one person who's got the most influence in all the things, Mm -hmm. then their wellness is going to be a ripple effect and influence in all the things as well. So that was why I named my practice, the joy effect. Um, Uh, That's huge. I think that's something that, um, I personally like when I'm talking to students um, and dealing and dealing with it myself as well. Um, or just, I guess, high functioning anxiety. Yeah. But um, that's something that I always tell people is like, we're not excluded from the promise of joy, you know, that God gives us. And we're not excluded from the promise of peace. And, and these, all of these things like life abundant that Jesus talks about, like when you're dealing with anxiety, you're not excluded from any, from any of that, you know, um, even, even though it feels like you are at the, in the moment. And so I really like the, the like joy aspect of that, of like, it's more about living like life abundantly, like Jesus talks about versus um, just kind of skating through life and getting everything done and it's done. So it's fine. You know? Yeah. I hear that a lot. I'm fine. I'm like, you seem fine. Do you (laughs) want to stay fine or do you want to be? Two Uh most meaningless words ever. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, Right. We say it all the time. And that is a cool thing to think about. Right. What a great Mm -hmm. thought as we wrap up, just not only 
if not for yourself, the people that are connected to you as mm-hmm. well, right? Mm-hmm. What a cool, yeah. I mean, what a much bigger way to live your life, to walk in your own joy. And then okay. knowing that, I mean, even whether you're the um, person in the household, like you described, or yeah. like a student who is yeah. connected to their own relationships and friendships mm-hmm. and their circle of influence, when someone becomes more fully alive and full of joy, there is that cool ripple mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. And we're, we're better able to, to serve or do whatever it is our vocation or calling is. We're better yeah. able to do that yeah. if we're not yeah. carrying this, this anxiety with us. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, that's an awesome, awesome place to kind of land today. Yeah. That's such a great message for us. And Carolyn, thank you so much for being willing to yes, spend you. some time with us. And I think it's such an important, important topic in the work you do really, really is significant. So thanks for what you do. And I'd love to ask you if, if somebody listening would love to learn more about this topic or connect with you, what would you recommend on that? Absolutely. Yeah. The website is joyeffectcounseling.com. That's yeah. just the best way to find me. It's got you know, contact information. I do have other clinicians on staff who also work with anxiety. And so you yeah. can kind of browse through them, see if maybe they're a better fit. I'm not the best fit for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah. the, uh, anyone worried about gray area drinking, the website for that is drinklesscoach.com. Okay. Um, okay. And it's a much newer project. So it's in early mm. stages, but yeah, that's exciting. That's awesome. Another great opportunity to hopefully make a difference there. Yeah. Some people. So fantastic. Well, uh, we want to thank you for joining us and uh, listening to this uh, episode of equip online and equip online is a partnership between Stonebridge church and mosaics of mercy. And Mosaics of Mercy is a great nonprofit in our community that really desires to be a digital resource hub where they connect people to counselors, support groups, lots of great resources. So they're a fantastic partner with us. And we also want to encourage you to check out our website for Equip. It's equiponlinepodcast.com. And as always, we want to just say God bless you. And we hope that you walk in the fullness of life that you were created for. My name is Kaylee Condit. I have grown up in the woodlands my entire life. I'm 20, almost 25. I'll be 25 next week. Um, I am currently going to grad school to get my doctorate in occupational therapy. So growing up, I struggled with um, anxiety. That was the first thing I really noticed was my anxiety. This started when I lost my grandmother. Um, she died when I was in first grade, so my academics started struggling and my social life as well. I had a hard time communicating with my peers and they actually wanted to hold me back in first grade because of the struggles I was going through. I was falling behind in school and then this carried on. I went to a private school afterwards because my parents didn't want to hold me back, so the private school helped me work through some of the problems I was going through with my anxiety. And then I went to public school after that and had some trouble making friends because I had social anxiety, which was really hard being the new person in school. And then making new friends has always been something that I struggle with because I have kind of a fear that people aren't gonna like me. Um, I always have that voice in my head that I'm being too annoying, which I know is pretty common with people with anxiety. Um, And then going into high school, I struggled with some bullying which only made my anxiety worse my freshman year. And then sophomore year, I had a discussion with my parents and decided to go on medication uh, because for me at that time, it was the best option. And that really helped me to kind of come out of my shell, learn how to make friends and learn how to 
manage my anxiety so that I wasn't having panic attacks all the time. My depression started probably my sophomore year of college, uh, sophomore or junior. And I didn't really know what it was at that point because I knew my family had struggled with depression, but I hadn't at that point. And so I just kept pushing it off and still doing things with my friends and trying to avoid it. But then it all came to a head my junior year of uh, college when I transferred to Texas Tech. And I actually had to have my mom fly out my first semester there because I was in such a bad place mentally. Um, I wasn't going to classes. I was staying in bed all the time. And when I did go to classes, I'd come home and take a nap immediately because it was just exhausting on my mental health. I found working out, so that's what I've really used to help me cope with my depression. Um, I, it helps me get out of my head for an hour out of the day, but then afterwards, um, all the endorphins that have been released just keep me in a better place mentally. Um, that also helps with my anxiety as well. Last year, right before the pandemic, I was at my like all-time low in my depression. Um, it was the worst episode I'd ever had. My parents were really worried about me. I was worried about me. Um, I had fallen out of the exercise routine, which didn't help. I ended up seeing a therapist for a little bit. That helped me realize that I needed to get back on track and try and pull myself out of it, which can be extremely difficult. Um, but I started working out again. I started eating healthy, um, really threw myself into my school to try and let myself know that I could do that. I could um, do something that felt normal. Um, and that was something that was really big for me, was trying to do things that made me feel normal um, or not in a depressive episode. So I would do things like my painting and I would do focus on school and that was what I used to do uh, to get through it. And um, I actually, through the COVID uh, quarantine, I worked out and I kept working out and I focused on my online school and I was able to actually pull myself out of that really, really deep depression, which felt weird because we were in the pandemic and it felt like I should have been more upset and regressing, but it actually gave me time to focus on myself instead of everything out there. And it helps me to um, grow mentally and um, get me to a place that I'm now in grad school and I'm uh, doing really well with the, my working out and I'm eating super healthy, which has really helped uh, keep that going. I think for me with depression, looking back, I don't know that there was exactly an, a moment that just made brought me to that deep depression. Um, I think it was a lot of things over time, um, just not taking care of myself physically also. I think really for me, that was a big thing. I grew up doing dancing, which um, I think helped keep me from ever getting into those deep depressions when I was younger. And so for me, keeping myself physically health healthy keeps me mentally healthy. Um, so I think that for anyone is finding what you can do to um, make yourself feel better. So for me, it's the working out and eating healthy, but for other people, it's photography or um, going out with friends or uh, focusing on school. Uh, so I think finding what helps you 
get out of it is what is important. Um, a lot of times you don't know what causes it. It just happens. So there can be things that cause it. Sometimes if I'm having a really stressful week, I'll find myself feeling more depressed than I was like a month ago. But uh, I think that at least for me, my personal experience is I all of a sudden it'll just, I'll be, I can kind of feel it coming, but there, there's not much I can do to stop it once it's started. And I think that's for me how it's been throughout my life. I think my generation is struggling with uh, depression and anxiety for a few reasons. One, social media. Um, seeing these perfect lives portrayed on social media is really detrimental to people that are in the developing stages but also past the developing stages because we think that our lives have to be perfect and follow this cookie cutter plan for us but that's not the reality life is messy and you have to follow your own path that God has put in front of you and I think that's what people forget is that everybody has their own struggles and we're not going to post our struggles online I try to because I want to show people that there is something there are people out there that are also struggling and not everything is happy and perfect growing up in the woodlands it felt like a lot of times it felt like we had to be perfect and you had to get into college and you had to get into a career and i think that probably placed some anxiety on people and it may be like that all over where you feel like you have to get into the next level to be successful and I think that places a lot of anxiety on people. Advice I would probably give to somebody that is like a, a parent or a caregiver to somebody with depression or anxiety would be to one, listen to them because they, even if they're not verbally saying something, you can sometimes see how they physically change. So just like listening and paying attention to them. Um, and then having a discussion about it, if you know that there's somebody that struggles with it, if you talk beforehand and come up with, like when they're not in a depressive episode, come up with like a plan. This is actually something the therapist I talked to said, um, have like a one to five scale, so, or one to 10 scale. One being I'm completely fine, 10 being I'm at the absolute worst. That way, because when you're in a depress depressive episode, sometimes you don't feel like communicating um, so you could just say, I'm out of one or I'm out of 10. And that way they know, okay, if you're out of 10, we need to get you serious help. If you're out of five, you're gonna be able to work through this on your own, but to give me my space and I'll be able to get through that. And I think that communication is something I carried through with my mom. And it's been really helpful for us discussing my mental health. The depressive episodes I went through, the one last year lasted probably about two months. Um, and two months of actual deep in it. And then there was the time after that I was still struggling, but I was starting to come out of it and feeling better. Um, and so having the patience is something that's super important when you're talking, when, you're, when you have a family member or a friend with depression, knowing that, okay, they may not be able to get out of bed today, but that's what they need to do to get through this or they may not be able to take a shower today because sometimes you're so low that doing something like getting out of bed is just too exhausting and so being understanding of that is something that's very important but also knowing that okay if it's getting to a point that this is they're not getting out of the bed or taking a shower for 
months at a time, they may need more help than you can give them. So some things that I'm doing to help advocate for mental health, um, I post a lot on my personal social media about my struggle uh, to try and show people that they're not alone in this. Um, it One, it helps me feel better get getting my anxiety out and just getting it out of my head and onto something. But then I've had people reach out to me um, from my posts in private messages saying that they really didn't even know that other people struggled this hard or that they've been struggling with it for a long time and didn't know who to reach out to. So I like to be there for other people that are struggling with it. If they need just somebody to talk to, um, I think that's really important. And then uh, this, what I'm going to school for, I'm hoping to help younger generations with their anxiety and depression and OCD uh, so that they can maybe have a more productive life while struggling with these because sometimes it can be so debilitating that you're unproductive. So my relationship with depression will probably never go away. I don't think that it's something that you just get over. I think, you know, it's something that you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life, but knowing that you have it and that there's things that you can do to pull yourself out so that you can at least be productive and be have happy moments and not live in this depression and succumb to it is what's really important. I love that it's being talked about more. I love that um, it's not as taboo to talk about your mental health and I think that's a step in the right direction and I really hope that this continues and I think that talking about it is what's going to help people feel more comfortable and maybe get the help that they need that they weren't able to get before. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We are really passionate about mental health. If you found this episode helpful or beneficial in any way, we would love for you to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and ding the notification bell so that you never miss another episode. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. See you next time.